like to start with something funny this morning uh, before we begin, because um, I, I, I feel like I have so much I want to say, um, but we're going to tackle just maybe one thing, or maybe half a point today. Um, so I heard about this mother, and she invited some people over for dinner, um, and at the table, um, everybody was sitting down, and she turned to her five-year-old daughter and said, honey, would you like to say the blessing over the meal? The little girl replied, mommy, I don't know what I would even say. The mom looked at her lovingly and said to her, oh, sweetie, you don't know what to say. Just say what you hear mommy say. The little girl bowed her head and said, oh, Lord, why did I invite these people over for dinner? (laughs) Oh, man. Well, um, for those of you who know, most of you probably know, I just got back from Israel. Uh, It was actually a little while ago now. This is the first time that I've had a chance to speak. Um, And it was awesome. Yeah, Israel is just so good, yeah. Um, but uh, it, was, it was super life-transforming for me. It was, it was so good. Um, and I think that one of the, probably the best thing that I experienced when I was there was I had this amazing opportunity to see the Bible in the culture that it was written. Um, because one of the things that, you know, it, we know this, but it's, you know, if you go to another culture in the world, you ever notice that there are things that we do that to them uh, that they're negative. Like I remember, I think it was when we were in Africa, they tell you not to put your feet up like on a stool or something because the palm, like showing the palm, like the, the bottom of your foot towards someone is like a very rude gesture, you know? And so there's like funny things that we obviously understand in the fact that cultures are different. And so seeing the Bible through the, really the culture, because one of the things that's amazing about the Jewish culture is that for really since Abraham, there have been slight changes in the sense that, you know, they're not sacrificing animals, you know, on Main Street in Jerusalem. Um, So there are things that have changed, but a lot of their culture actually has remained very intact. The way that they worship, the way that they pray, the way that their family structure is. And so it really was so amazing getting to, to, to kind of be there. And really, I think that the, the thing that I was so overwhelmed with in being in their culture is the bigness of God, really that they allow him to be so big in their culture. And you hear about this throughout history because I know that most of you know this, but the Jewish people are probably the most persecuted people group really in, uh, throughout history. I mean, you read you know, biblically, you know, living in times of slavery and throughout history, you know, having their city just being overthrown and all these different crazy things. We talk about the Holocaust and really all the stuff that has gone on through the Jewish people. And one of the things that, you know, sociologists and people who study these things, they honestly don't understand why the Jewish people have been able to survive as a people group for so long. And when you get there and you begin to talk to them, it becomes very apparent why they are so strong. And the reason why they're so strong is that from the most orthodox Jewish person to the most um, secular Jewish person, there is an understanding of the goodness of God in their life that has permeated every corner of their culture. 
that whether someone has an active relationship with God, whether they, you know, pray four times a day, whether they haven't prayed in 40 years, there is this overwhelming understanding on the inside of them of the covenant that God has with them and the fact that God is in every area of their life and will continue in every area of their life to be good to them regardless of the way situations look. And I realized in that how much power exists in that understanding. Because, you know, don't we do it so much in our culture where we judge the success of our life based on the outcome? You know, like, or, or, or we have these situations where you ever gone through like a horrible situation, something that when you're going through it, you feel like this is it. Like, I'm done. Like, I basically should just, you know, pick out my, you know, grave plot because this baby is going to take me out. And then like six months goes by and you look back at that thing and you're like, oh man, I'm so thankful that I went through that. You know, and I think about how funny that is. And really it shows me, because this happens to me all the time, it shows me how my life and the success of my life is so based on the way things look on the outside that whether things are good or bad today really has this strange way of determining to me whether or not I feel like my life is good, right? Like I can remember this happening to me. I've told this story before when I got cut from that travel team, you know? I was like this 11-year-old kid and I got cut from a travel team. And like at that point, you know, like I, I tell the funny story, you know, everybody's going in and they're coming out and they're going in. They're like, yeah, we made it. Because I mean, it's like the final cut. And so they were cutting two people, right? And so everybody, there's probably like 15 people, maybe like 10 people who are before me. And they're all coming out and they're going out and they're coming back in. They're like, yeah, I made it. Yeah, I made it. And they're so excited. I go out and I'm like pretty confident that I'm going to make it. I go in there. The coach is like, you know, he gives you, you're so good. And we think that you're amazing. And you could practice with us whenever, but we're sorry you didn't make the team. And, you know, I was so ashamed of it, right, that I walked back in the dressing room and I was like, woo, I made it, right, because I didn't want people to, I didn't want people to know that I was the guy who got cut. Um, and, and I remember, like, after that, I can remember vividly, okay, I was probably like a 10-year-old kid, but I can remember vividly driving to my grandma's house and basically telling my dad that, like, I quit life, you know, because it's like, I didn't make the team, and so I just, I don't even know why I would try to do anything anymore. And I can remember how funny it is uh, because now when I look back at that situation and I see how something as small and silly as getting cut from a hockey team has so, you know, the decisions that I made and the people that I met and the way things worked out. Now when I look back, I think, man, I'm so thankful that I didn't make that team, that I had to walk this other, this, this other way of life. And, and even in like as silly as my hockey career, the changes that I made from it really ended up giving me a great you know, hockey career that I had that was not really a career, but, you know, a good time playing hockey. And, and I think about that, and I realize how different Jewish people feel when they go through difficulty. Like, I know that I shared this the other day when I was up here with my dad talking about how uh, one of the things that while the Jewish people were in the Holocaust, one of the things that made the Nazis so angry was it didn't matter what they did to them. Like, they could starve them and beat them. They could kill them. It was like they could do whatever they want. But what they could never do was they couldn't break their spirits. 
it was said that like singing would just, like these are people who are like frail, who can barely walk around, but singing would just like break out in the yard because this people group understood something deeper than the pain, deeper than the difficult. They understood that God was with them. And because of that, they literally became unbreakable. It didn't matter what was happening around them. It didn't matter how good or bad something looked because they understood this one simple thing that God is good. This one understanding was able to radically change the way they experienced the life that was around them. You know, and maybe that's the thing, right? Like maybe you've never been cut from a team before, you know, or maybe you have, but I've realized that we all do this in probably almost every area of our life. I've even found that for myself at least, this way of thinking has even crept into my Christianity where I judge the success of my faith walk based off of these external results. You know, like if I'm believing God to pay my rent and he shows up and he doesn't, it doesn't happen that he doesn't pay my rent, immediately I, I get overwhelmed by this feeling of failure. That is though there was something that I did wrong. There's something more that I should have been in order to experience these results. And then on the flip side, right, you have people who they're like, you know, woo, bless God. Like God showed up and gave me a million dollars. You know, I'm so stressed out internally that I can't sleep at night, but bless God, I got good things happening on the outside. And I realized that from these very simple examples, what we can so often do is we can judge the success of our life based on whether or not our life looks in the moment the way that we think it's supposed to look. But you know what I realized? And this is a challenge because, you know, I love to preach about like really like, you know, woo, like let's be happy and joyful and let's stir the crowd because God is so, but you know what I realized? That's really not the case in the Bible. And I think that what has, you know, what has happened sometimes is that because we have judged the success of our life based off of the way that it looks, we actually miss out on the ingredients that are necessary for us to become the people who actually have the ability to live the lives that we want to live. Because I tell you, what makes the Jewish people so special is not that they have lived a life without problems. It's not that they've lived an existence that is just like walk down easy street and God is just paving the way for them. What's made them such an extraordinary people and why they are a marvel on the earth is because they have this amazing ability to go through difficulty and problems and trials and situations and through the middle of it, it's like they understand something that I don't understand. You ever notice that? How there are some people that you know that could be going through a really difficult situation, but yet they're happy? Don't you want to just like, like sit down and ask that first? I do that all the time. Like I have no shame when it comes to things. Like if I want to know something, I'm just going to ask you because I want to know. And so if I see somebody who's like, who's happy and doing good, like I ask them, what is it? Like, what do you do? Like, how do you experience life like this? How do you experience such internal peace when everything on the outside of your life would make me feel like you should be experiencing anything but? You know, like, you know, there's people, 
how that you meet them. And there's some of us who we go through difficulty and we're like, God is good, right? But, but you know, like, that person's lying. <laughs> you know, they don't believe that God is good. And then there's some people who their life is literally falling apart and they just greet you and they're like, you know, yeah, you're like, God is good. And they want to, and you're like, man, there is something, there is something different that you understand. I think this is what the Apostle Paul would have been like when people would have met him. Because when you read about his story, I mean, this was the guy who, you know, was, excuse me, he was amazing. He, Jesus basically like reached out to him and explained to him the New Testament, like spiritually. Like he had this like one-on-one connection with Jesus in the spirit realm. And he broke down the New Testament and really the message of grace for us about how we enter into the new covenant. And so this guy was it, like he got it, but his life wasn't overly easy. You know, you ever read through the story of like, you know, I've been shipwrecked and I've been whipped three times. And I've been cast out and I've been beaten with clubs, you know, and I've been this and I've been, and you realize like, wow, for someone who supposedly knows God pretty good. I don't know. Oh, I don't know that I would want to look my, I don't want my life to look like the apostle Paul's life. But when you read his accounts, it bothers me so bad. Because he honestly doesn't care right like you read about that like the scriptures that are like i know how to abase and i know how to abound i know how to be at the top at the bottom i know how to be in the palace or in the jail what does he say in all things i'm content i'm i'm unmoved it's as though what's happening around me It has no effect whatsoever. I mean, some of the most amazing things the Apostle Paul wrote. You know, I'm thinking like, if I'm going to write something, I need to have like a a very spiritually heightened environment. Like I'll take a nice walk along the water or I'll sit in front of like a nice window and because I need to just like get in the... The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of his amazing work in a jail and not just a jail it would probably be more like you were locked up in a sewer it's probably more accurate on an understanding of in this environment he experienced the inspired word of the lord that has changed the course of history and he was possibly writing standing in poop I mean, that bothers me. But that's this thing that this group of people understood. They understood how to place value on the right things. Because you know what I realize? God places almost no emphasis on external things whatsoever. You know what I'm Everybody know Matthew 6. I love Matthew 6 towards like kind of like the last little chunk of it where it talks about consider the lilies. 
Consider the sparrows. They don't toil, but God feeds. How much more then if he'll care for the lilies that are here today and gone tomorrow and the sparrows that are literally like a sparrow was something that you would, it was the cheapest thing that you could buy in their culture. That's why I talked with the sparrow. It was a thing that literally carried no value. And God is saying, if I will take care of those things, why do you feel like my children I wouldn't care for? But he goes on to say this. He says, why do you care about what you eat and what you wear? He goes, those are the things that the heathens care about. You see, I realize in this that God, when he's looking at my life, he is, he's not moved by the way my life looks on the outside. He's actually not even overly proud on things on the outside. I mean, because if he was, in Matthew chapter 6, he would have told us, seek after these things. Seek the stuff and seek the riches and seek the glory. But he doesn't. He says, those are the things that the heathen seek. He goes on to say what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his, his way of doing things, his thought processes. And God says what? All these other, the other things. What's he talking about? The stuff. The things that he then seek after, the clothes, the stuff. He says all those things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That stuff. I'm just going to add that stuff to you. And so I begin to think about it then. Because obviously God is interested in fruit. Right? We know that. We know that all throughout the New Testament and all throughout Jesus' parables, he's constantly talking to us about the fruit of our life. He even goes so far as to say that if, if you're a branch and you aren't producing fruit, then he's just going to cut you off and throw you into the fire. And so we know, I know, that fruit is very important to God. And so I began to think about this, that if fruit is important, but the fruit that I thought was important isn't actually important to you, then what is the important fruit? You see what I'm saying? Like fruit is important, but the fruit that I thought was the important fruit isn't the important fruit. So I want to know what is the important fruit if fruit is important. Are you with me? Because I'm not saying that having a healthy body and money in your bank account, I'm not saying that those things aren't things that we believe for. Please don't hear me wrong. Those are the things that God adds to us. But the fruit of my life, which is the thing that I focus on, that is the, the emphasis of my life, that is, if I have five minutes to pray, these are the things that I'm going to pray over because this is the important thing. This is the fruit that I want my life to be known by. I want to know that. Because I tell you, judging life based off of the outside 
can only lead us to striving. The only place that judging your life on the outside can lead you to is a lifestyle of performance. It's true, isn't it? I mean, haven't we all spent at least a few minutes in Strivingville or performance land? We've all been there. In our culture, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. But I'm realizing now that those things are an afterthought. They are the byproduct. I was talking to someone the other day and talking about, you know, stepping into new things in God and, and new understandings. And we were just challenging each other on this way of thinking. And I said, you know, and they're like, well, how do you know the difference? And this thought came out of me. The difference is, is one person would, this would be the objective. For another person, it would be the byproduct. I don't want the external fruit to be my end goal. I want it to be a byproduct of an internal reality that the creator of the universe lives and breathes and moves on the inside of me. I want it to be a byproduct that I'm so ingrained in him and he's so ingrained in me that my life can't help but produce good things. Because this is what the apostle Paul understood. This is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they bothered me too. Because if it was me and it was my story, you know, you read about them and they, King Nebuchadnezzar wants them to bow and they won't bow and then he wants them to bow and they won't bow and finally they, they are like, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. Now this is your, this is it, this is what's happening. And they make this statement that has honestly always, always bothered me. People actually wrote a song about this and the song bothered me. <laughs> Because to me, it was the, it was the absolute, it was, it was just the epitome of doubt. And I couldn't understand how can God honor doubt. They said it like this. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, you're like, oh. Does that make you angry? That bothered me. How did God save them? That was always the question, but I realized all my life I've been asking the wrong question. The question wasn't how did God save them? The question should have been, what did they know about God that I didn't know? Because they knew something. Obviously, we understand that. We know that without faith, it's impossible for God to act, right? I know that faith is the currency on the earth that gives God his ability to intervene and act in my life. So I read this scripture as though it's not faith, 
But somehow, they under, I realized what it was. At least I think. I always, saying that, you kind of feel like, eh, I don't know if I, I think I got it. I'll say, I'm getting close to getting it. You know what I realized? This is what happens when we judge life based off of the outside. Because if I judge life based off on the outside, God's only good way of intervening in my life is to save me. Right? Isn't that true? It's what we do all the time. Somebody passes away. Something doesn't happen in our life that we think is supposed to happen. We, our house gets foreclosed on. And immediately we begin to look at ourselves and say, where did I go wrong? These guys understood something that was different. You know how the Bible says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. They're higher. They're higher. This is what I realized the Jewish people understand. They actually call it the mystery. It's called, I think they call it the cabal. They understand that there is a mystery. There is a, I'll say, let me say it like this. They're not trying to get God to come down and live in their box. They're trying to get their understanding to go up to his level. You see, this is what I realized that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that I didn't understand. They understood this, that if God is good and God can only do good, and God is for me in my limited ability to understand this situation, I'm going to say not burning is best. <laughs> However, if God is only good, he can only do good, he can only be good in my life, if he understands more than me and his best plan is that I would burn. That's, it's painful, isn't it? It almost feels blasphemous to say. But I realized something. You know, we talk about hope all the time. We do. We talk about hope. You know, we, my Aunt Joy is amazing, and she talks about meditation. And it's so good. But when I go to the New Testament, and I read about the scriptural process of developing hope, do you know where that process begins? It begins with a challenge. In fact, the New Testament says the word, I'll whisper it. Suffering. <laughs> now we have to understand this because God obviously doesn't want us to suffer. No more than I want Lola to suffer ever. I, not a day in her life do I want her to suffer. However, I understand that in order for Lola to grow up and be the woman that God has made her to be, I have to allow her to go through difficulty. Is that what the scripture says? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, we know it produces character. Character produces brotherly love and brotherly love produces hope. Or something like that. 
I think this is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said, I want to know you. This was the objective. The objective was, I want to know you. Not, I want the stuff. I'm challenging my own life all the time where I'll be like praying and doing my meditation and I'll hear the whisper of God. Are you seeking after my blessing or are you seeking after me? Because God wants the blessing in your life. Just the same way that for Lola, like I will do ridiculous things in order to make sure she's blessed. But my objective, the covenant, the thing that my dad is talking to us all about is I didn't marry Danielle for the stuff, for the perks, for the benefits. Although I'm so thankful that I get to live in this amazing world that we've created together. I married her because I want to know her. This is what the Apostle Paul said about God. I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. And what? Ah, there it is again. How do you know someone in the fellowship of their sufferings? I, I have to go to those places. Because you see, like, I want to know God when God pays my bills. Woo! I want to know that Jesus. But you know there's a side of him that we only see. I think about this. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. Why do I need a comforter if my life is always supposed to be easy and good? You see, I think that what we've done is we've assigned the wrong value to things that are happening in our life. I've said that the way things look on the outside is indicative of the nature of God when God is saying, no, 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 no. That's not the way that it is at all. The outside to God is like, it's really just a tool that God uses in order to change us. This is what these great people understood. They understood that that there is a deep on the inward understanding on the inside of him that Paul could say, I could be at the top or the bottom, but it doesn't bother me. Why? Because I trust in my relationship with God. I realized something. When there are things that happen in our life that we don't necessarily understand, there's two things that we do. I either, I allow it to pull me back which is what I did historically, just be honest with you. There was something about God that I didn't necessarily understand or something didn't work out the way that I thought that it was supposed to work out. It would kind of, you know, I would never tell you. I wouldn't voice it, but it would do that. It would kind of like just drive, you know, maybe even just a sliver of a wedge in between me and him. You know, because haven't we all had that, like, I confessed, I prayed, I read. Yeah. 
I guess God doesn't care. I did the five steps. I did the three keys. Yeah, I A, B, C, D. And I'm still sick. I guess this stuff doesn't work. Or what it does is what it did in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's life. They sit on this side and said, I have an idea of what good is. The preferable outcome for me is that I wouldn't burn up today. But I know something. I'm convinced of something. That even if things don't turn out the way I thought they were, like when I got cut from my hockey team, didn't turn out the way that I thought it was supposed to turn out. Didn't go the way that I thought it was supposed to go. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, there's one thing that I do know. I know that God is good. I know that his thoughts towards me are good. I know Jeremiah 29, 11 tells me that his plans for me are good. I know that he says that he's ordained my steps. I know that Psalm 91 tells me that he'll pick me up in his hand lest I dash my foot against a stone. I know that my God said that I will supply all your needs according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus in heaven. I know John 15 tells me that I'm the vine and you're the branches. And when I'm in you and you're in me, then all that I ask will be done for me according to my father's in heaven. So if this doesn't go the way I thought it was supposed to go, it's not because God isn't with me. It's because I'm not seeing the way he sees. Can I tell you something? I don't want a blessing in my life that's not sent from God at the right moment. It would be like this. It would be like if Lola came up to me. She's now almost six months old. She's a big timer now. You know, she's got it. And she asked me, Dad... And that would be a miracle in itself. <laughs> Daddy, I'm ready for the keys to the car. How many of you would think that as a good father, I should just give my six-month-old the keys to my... I mean, all that I have is yours. No, I could see it in that situation. You know what Lola has to do in that situation? The same thing that I have to do. She has to trust, even though I don't understand this. Even though my dad said, all that I have, all that he has is mine. I don't know why he said no. I don't know why it didn't turn out the way I thought it was supposed to turn out. But this, I do know. Come on now, close your eyes. This, I do know. My dad is good. My dad loves me. My dad is for me. This is what the scripture says. 
Galatians 5 was where he talks to us about what is the fruit of our life supposed to look like? This is actually my message. Like I said, I have a lot of messages that are going on on the inside of me right now. He talks to you about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, we talk about this, living a Spirit-led life. And here we have Jesus, the inspired word of the Lord, telling me what is the fruit of living a Spirit-led life. Now, we can sometimes think that living the fruit of a spirit-led life looks like the blessing. And I'm sure it does. But this is not what God is emphasizing in my life at all. Let me just read it really quickly. Galatians 5 says this. This is the fruit of the spirit. This, this, this should be, if I'm looking at my life today, right, because we could do this. We could be so stressed out and worried about getting our blessing and somehow feel like when we get our blessing that that was the objective. That's not God's objective. God tells us, like, if you, if you are one with me, John 15, if you're in me and I'm in you and you're one with me, this is what the Bible says, okay? This is, what, this is the evidence, okay? This is my objective. Coming home from Israel, this is my objective. Like, I saw so many things, I did so many things, but this is where I feel like God is forcing me to hone in on because this is the evidence that I'm actually living the life that I always thought that I was supposed to live. I'm, de I'm taking value away from external things that I thought were the, the fruit of my life that showed that my life was good. And I'm now beginning to put them onto these other things because this is actually what God says to me, that when I'm actually living life in the spirit, this is the fruit that, that's actually going to begin to be produced in my life. You get it? But the fruit of the spirit is money, cars, houses, Healthy body. Oh, shoot. Wrong translation. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit. Come on, I've been singing this since Brad and Donna were singing it to me in Sunday school. And Debbie. Love. What would our world look like if, as Christians, our highest objective in life? I think if you've polled most people, the, one of the top things that people would say about the church is that we are not loving. In fact, these kind of fringe movements that are happening in the world right now, they are the ones who are claiming that they understand and live out of a life of love. I'm not talking about that this morning, but I mean, love is, this is our, this should be our calling card. This should be like, you know, I, I don't care if I'm broke living under a, 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 a bridge somewhere. It, it doesn't make a difference to me. But, but you better believe I'm focused on being loving. I tell you, maybe like 950 billion years from now when I'm in heaven, I'll get my Rolls Royce. 
God bless it. And I'll drive it there and love it. I think that's sometimes the challenge that God sees the end from the beginning all in a moment. He, you're not going to go there either. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Not my aunt joy, like actual joy. What would your life look like if you were like overwhelmed? Like you were that annoying, happy person. Like Emma is like that. Emma is annoyingly happy. Like, it bothers me sometimes. I'm like, could you please just be a little bit realistic? But no, why? This is the fruit of the Spirit. Peace. Oh, man. Peace. How many of you could use a double dose of peace? Last night when I was laying in my bed, I could have used a double dose of peace. This is our portion. This is our, this is my right. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What would my life look like? What would I be like? I think this is what Jesus meant when he said the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I think people were looking at him and how amazing his life probably was. And he was letting them know this, this stuff doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that when I get around the children, they run to me. And when I get around the broken, they cling to me. That when I get around the lost, it's like I'm the deep breath that they felt like they could never take. This is who we were born to be. And we've minimized it by focusing on the stuff that God says, these are givens. It's like when you look at the grass as it grows and the trees and the flowers and the fields and as you look at the just all the things about life and the birds and you wonder how do blue jays live in the winter but somehow God sustains them. It's like if you would care so much about the blue jay. That would be like I have a pristine lawn but my kid is starving. What kind of man would you think that I was? God would never do that to us. The Bible says in comparison, I'm evil. Like I love Lola good, like real good. What it's challenging me because is I look at God and I'm like, God, you look at 
the love, like my heart burns for her. But in comparison, my best is evil. Come on, like, take that in. That's why the Apostle Paul could sit in a dungeon and write about the goodness of God and his faithfulness. So I could write 1 Corinthians 13, literally defining God and his good nature. While, like, potentially his, he was, like, writing on the roof because his hands were handcuffed to the ceiling. Because he knew something. It's not about the way it looks on the outside. It's not about whether it goes the way you thought it was supposed to go. It's about can I like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? in something that I can't see. I can't see how good would come from this at all. But God, if this is the way you think I should go, I don't want to do it. I hate the idea of being burned in a fiery furnace or being thrown in a lion's den or running into battle with a giant. But if this is the way you want me to go, close your eyes, let me pray for you. Lord, like Jess said this morning while we were singing, it's about surrender. I'm not surrendering my life over to you because you don't care. I'm surrendering my life over to you because you could do a better job with my life than I could do. And we choose today, Lord, corporately. Lord, we lay aside every lie, every misunderstanding that we have had or felt where we somehow assessed our situation as though you weren't good, your word wasn't faithful, we choose right now, Lord, as an act of our will to reject that thinking. We reject the idea that says we have to understand everything. We reject the idea that says that things have to go the way we want them to go. We reject the idea that says you can only operate in the little box that we create for you. And we choose right now, Lord, we choose this. We choose to simply believe that you are good. You're good. I may not like the way things have turned out, but I trust that you're good. I may not understand it, but you're good. It doesn't seem like it makes sense, but you're good. Lord, we give you back. We allow you back into our lives to be 
the ever-present help in our time of need. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray your life was impacted by the service and that you were able to feel the tangible love of Jesus fill whatever space you're listening from. Maybe you found this message and you've never had the opportunity to come into a personal relationship with Jesus, or you've known about him but have been far from him. We want to give you the opportunity to make his love a daily reality in your life. Jesus came to this earth and died on a cross so that you and I could be close to him. He wanted to wipe away every disappointment and bring you into a life of purpose and meaning, one that will impact this globe for good. So if you'd like to begin this journey with Jesus today, then repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm praying this prayer because I know that I've made mistakes and have been living without you. I apologize and I trust that you will forgive me. I accept your love and grace and ask that you would be my Lord and Savior. Help me believe in you and love you every day. Help me to show the world what you're like and how great your love is. I commit to live for you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. All of our Light City family are joining with heaven and celebrating over the commitment you just made to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. We have resources available for you to help you on this journey, but most of all, we're praying for you. Send us a note at info at golightcity.com to let us know about the decision you've made today. We have resources we'd love to send you uh, with some easy steps on how to go from here so that you can discover God in a real and meaningful way. If you have a prayer request, our team would love to connect with you and partner with you to see God transform your life. God bless you, and we look forward to hearing from you soon.